everybody. Hi, y'all. Welcome to the... The Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation, followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. I am a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Lexi. Hello, Lexi. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start that there meditation in a minute. So take a moment to get situated, get comfy, spread out a little bit. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. The coffee area is open. Try not to distract too many people when you go and get refills. Also, refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and posture, breathe in God, and breathe out self. So we're going to turn the lights off. We're going to feel the air go in through your nose. Let it sit in your lungs a little bit and let it out with a If you could do that for three minutes straight, wow, that's dedication. But you'll also be comfy. Take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you focus on this study tonight. So, Ryan, is anybody else coming on up? Okay, that's it. There we go. All right, we're going to turn the lights off in just a moment. Everybody wants to sit down and get situated. We shut the doors so we don't get distracted. It's just three minutes of you and quiet. The idea is to get focused. Ooh, I'm having a heart attack. Ouch. And be brought into just the moment, okay? Thank you. 
back. Let's start off with the fog light prayer. You want to start us there? Sure, that I can do. All right. God, God. let your love shine through us like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through us. And filling in for Tanisha tonight is Josiah. Give him a round of applause. Right, hey, far away. There you go. My name is Josiah. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Sorry about the technical Josiah. difficulties. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Uh, Mark will be passing. What? Ready to make Some, a deal. All right. <laughs> all right. I've uh, I've asked a friend to read the recovered statement. Who's that? Yay! Megan, come on up. Hi, I'm Megan. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Megan. Megan. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering. Oh, that's better. And what exactly it means to be a recovered alcoholic. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, and come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time. And neither should this sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistic above suggests a 75% success rate. Now, in the back, right next to Mark. Mark, give us a wave there, buddy. We've got uh, CDs, mugs, and large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. Uh, And if you need anything from the back rack, you can see myself, Ryan, Mark, or any other group member. We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. And uh, one more announcement is uh, Thursday, 7.15 to 8.15, Peter Marinelli. Ooh, Peter M. (laughs) will be doing his second session, and from what I've heard, he has been doing an incredible job. So thank you, and we'll see you next week, guys. Did you push the button? Okay, good. Thanks. Let's, uh, from the fourth of the first edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We have Alcoholics Anonymous, more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. To show others precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From there is a solution also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. 
This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have interest in alcoholism and the program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself, nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity, pretty close, will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. And anonymity. I get to say the thing tonight? You get to say the thing. On the topic of anonymity, we do have a microphone that goes around and we podcast this meeting. So if that's something that you are not comfortable with, feel free to pass the microphone. Or you can always disguise your voice or do a cool, funny accent. Your Hello, choice. bonjour. Can I see a show of hands of people joining us for the very first time? Never been here before. Welcome. Welcome. Glad you guys are here. Can I see a show of hands of your recovered alcoholics? And those folks, leave your hands up for just a minute. So if your hand's not up, we recommend you talk to the ones who are. They'll get you connected to God, maybe get you through the book, and then you can you know, have a life that's free of alcohol and drug addiction and be happy, joyous, and free. Mm, sounds nice. Well, this is an open meeting. Membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and who have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. So did anybody sneak by our welcoming committee and not have a book, I guess? Who doesn't have a book book. in front of you? Raise your hand. Jack needs a book. Thank you. There we go. All right. Oh, before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition 3. And it was amazing. And it was amazing. You weren't here, but it was awesome. Tonight, let's take a quick look at Tradition 4. Folks, please refer to the unabridged book, which is page 562, the big fat one. And if you get the ones, the little smaller ones, the abridged version, turn to page 177. He's going to read the short form, the long form, and give us a pony show of what that means to him. And I didn't prepare a pony show. Pony show. Well, the same thing. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. And tonight we are going over Tradition 4. We'll go like this. It moves over. There you go. Okay. Uh, So Tradition 4 in the short form. Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. And in the long form, with respect to its own affairs, each AA group should be responsible to no other authority than its own conscience. But when its plans concern the welfare of neighboring groups also... Those groups ought to be consulted, and no group, regional committee, or individual should ever take any action that might greatly affect AA as a whole without conferring with the trustees of the General Service Board. On such issues, our common welfare is paramount. Um, All right. So the first thing that I really noticed about this tradition is how it almost seems like it's a continuation. Fuzzy part. A continuation of Tradition 3. Um, so at the end of Tradition 3, it says that any two or three alcoholics gathered together can call themselves an AA group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. And this tradition just gives those groups the freedom to make its own decisions based on group conscience. Um, so you have, like, open or closed meetings, you have men's meetings, women's meetings, big book studies, uh, discussion meetings, speaker meetings, and so on. Um, a group can decide on any format at once, provided that it's sticking to AA's primary purpose. Um, carrying the message to still suffering alcoholics. Uh, I found a story which I thought really captures the essence of this tradition. So Bill Wilson was on a train headed to California, um, and he was going to speak at a few meetings, and there was a group in a small Midwestern town that, that had heard that the train that he was on would be stopping in their town. Uh, so he asked them, or they asked him if he'd be willing to speak at their meeting while he was there, and he agreed. 
so he goes to the meeting, and he's shocked when they open up the meeting by singing some church hymns. Um, but he doesn't say anything. He keeps his word, and he gives his talk. Um, but then he was even more disturbed when they closed the meeting with some church hymns. So he gets back on the train, uh, but this is all still bothering him. Uh, you know, like He's like, what are these people doing with these church hymns? What are they doing to AA? Um, and it just didn't seem right to him. Uh, so he's sitting there thinking about it, and then he starts to consider the size of this town and, and the population of this town. Um, and it's a small town. And then he thinks of the large number of alcoholics that were at this meeting. Um, and he comes to the conclusion that per capita, uh, this was probably the largest meeting in the country. Um, and if they wanted to sing hymns, that was their business. Uh, so in this group, you know, we open with the fog light prayer, right? Uh, but other meetings you can go to, you might hear the serenity prayer, or someone might read how it works. Um, it's all based on the group's discretion. Um, so while this tradition is great and all, it, it comes with a cost as well, you know? With this freedom that we get, we also get responsibility to protect AA as a whole. Um, so we have to ask ourselves a question. Does our group always consider the welfare of what's best for AA or of neighboring groups? Um, or how about individually, you know? Do I always bear in mind that to an outsider who knows that I'm an AA, that my behavior could reflect the fellowship as a whole? You know, am I, am I practic putting principles, all these, practicing these principles in all of my affairs? Um, so these are the responsibilities that fall on our shoulders, and I don't think that they should be taken lightly, you know. Uh, but by adhering to these traditions and these principles of this program, each group can pretty much ensure that it won't stray too far from the, the program's basic tenets. Um, I think the interesting twist about this tradition is that it says that there is no right way, you know. Uh, but it also gives each group the right to be wrong, um, as long as we learn from our mistakes. So there's a little blurb in the 12 and 12 that I want to read, um, and I think it pretty much sums this tradition up. I just really like the way it's written, too. Um, Children of chaos, we have defiantly played with every brand of fire, only to emerge unharmed, and we think wiser. These very deviations created a vast process of trial and error, which, under the grace of God, has brought us to where we stand today. That's all I've got for Tradition 4. Thank you so much. Boom. That was Boom. good. It was good. Um, in order for us to stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide, which was prepared by Krusty Cliff and helped with Joe and Charlie. Uh, and they're the Dallas Big Book, Big Book, Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group, folks. So we have chosen, actually I chose the, the, the Robert to be our reader tonight. So we're all going to start reading on page 139-ish. So Robert's coming on up. He's going to read for us. Give him a round of applause. Give him an honor. Give him a we're going to start the study from 141, but we're also going to start teeing up a little bit from 138 ballpark. All right. How's this work? After the page is read, yeah. we're going to ask a few questions from the podium, starting back at the top of the page we just specified. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified, and multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Basically, I think it's what she just said is we're going to have Robert read the material, three or four pages, one or two pages, we'll see how it goes once through, and then we're going to re-dissect the information we just read a second time through a question and answer set period. Um, notice how the language in the questions gives us new light, which in to consider the study material. Why do we do this? 
It's important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed that page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experience with this information, you are free to share. However, Big Book Study is not therapy. Should you start sharing on topics which are more appropriately discussed in a private setting with your sponsorship or sponsorship family or therapist or psychiatrist, don't be offended when we cut that conversation short. For that purpose, that's why I have fellowship meetings before and after a study. So when we're sharing tonight, let's stay focused on what we've just read and how what we've read affected you. And also one thing is like, remember what it was like in 1940. 1939 when this is written so try to put a little bit of mindset of what it was like there and how that might even relate today yeah you can never go wrong by commenting on the page at hand which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of alcoholics anonymous sobriety freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of any alcoholics anonymous group that's one of my favorite quotes i love that one so we are in to the employer tonight, but we just didn't start there about 76 weeks ago we started on page zero which was the very first it is the preface and the forewords the main point of the forewords is kind of help us understand what alcoholics anonymous is what this thing's all about, how it got started, how it evolved, when our book came into play. If you're coming into AA uh, to get and hopefully to stay sober, it makes sense that you want to know what you're getting involved in. And we want you to know what you're getting involved in, which brings us to... The doctor's opinion. So if you read the forwards, you, you might get... These guys are a little on fire about this stuff. They seem to be a little... Oh, gung-ho. So we got the doctor's opinion, which explains why they are so enamored with helping others why this is so important we find out about the disease it's a spiritual malady with a mental exception and a physical allergy and we see how that progresses we see how different solutions are not helpful in trying to help it to go away or to have a solution for it so the doctor's opinion just brings alcoholism to life the book was written as a book for us the alcoholic to start identifying ourselves at the same time as written in such a way that it was bringing information to the general public at heart at hand because there was so much misinformation and you know what does that look like and then bill's story kind of puts a face on the whole thing you know it's often referred to as a classic 12-step call we get to read what bill's life was what his life was like how his drinking career progressed how he tried to moderate and control his drinking how he found that he could not do so on his own how a solution was finally brought into his life and how he finally succumbed to that solution and what it all looked like after. Um, but to elaborate on exactly what that solution was, we have a chapter called... There's a solution. You know, we just barely touched on the solution in Bill's story. We talk about the benefits we get by it, but we want to figure out why that solution is necessary. Why just information alone won't help us to a solution. Why fear alone won't bring us to a solution. Why my willpower is not enough. So what we do is we have some examples and some ideas about how the solution works with alcoholism. How it's necessary to bring about a psychic change that's going to help us to get away with the, the mental obsession which is one of our biggest problems which we're going to pick up on a chapter called more about alcoholism yeah. uh, commonly called the chapter on relapse and it describes a little more about alcoholism or untreated alcoholism it kind of drills in that we have no effective mental defense against the first drink and then that defense isn't going to come from self-will and it's not going to come from this from the fellowship it has to come from a higher power but if you're still a little bit weird about the god thing luckily we have a chapter called 
To agnostics. We agnostics. What happens is in in to uh, more about alcohols, it really paints us into a corner. The whole purpose of the book from page zero to page 43 is to help you decide, are you an alcoholic of the variety Alcoholics Anonymous is for? Can you stay sober on a non-spiritual basis? Then you probably don't need the steps. But if you're like one of us, a real alcoholic, you need to have a spiritual experience, which means you've got to have a relationship with God. I came in here with a conception of God that was so wacky diddly do that I had nothing to do with this bean or thing. I just, I wanted nothing to do with it, but I was also painted in a corner. If I don't, I'm going to die. So the whole thing about we agnostics, it helps me to challenge my information and my set ideas, my prejudices about spirituality, religion, and, and nice people and being honest and not stealing. And, and I sort of became cool with it. By the way, if I didn't, I was going to die. So I had this, I had this, it wasn't like, well, let's just do it for fun. It was either I do this way of life and I live happy, joyous and free. Or I die. So I'm ready to do that, but I'm not sure how to do that. So we have a chapter called? How it works. Um, And it kind of starts a little bit with how it won't work. And it being a path to a spiritual experience. We've kind of started on our steps a little with one and two up until this point. But if we're ready, it gets us right on a third step, which is where we give our will, which is our thoughts, and our life, which is our actions, over to the care of God as we understand him, how we began to understand him in We Agnostics. And then we start right away on a fourth step, which is when we're trying to identify all the things that are blocking us from God. So we're writing down all of our resentments, our sex inventories, our fears, and our harms to others. And for probably the first time, we get to see who we really are. And it's probably not super pretty, but we still need more action. The fourth step in and of itself is not enough, which brings us into... Into action. Now, more action. the funny thing about that you brought up in the first paragraph of how it works, it tells us who's not going to get sober, who this isn't going to work for. Those who are those who do not entirely give themselves to this simple way of life are not going to get it, you know, and hopefully by page zero to page 58 to page 60, 63, you're convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. So you've got this four step of resentments and and fears and sex contact and harms to others. And you've, okay, I see what's wrong with me. Well, we got another chapter called Into Action where somebody else also reviews that with you. And if you're anything like me, he points out all the things I missed. It's like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. And I got honest with myself for the first time and I saw the dirt bag that was showing up in everybody's life and I was willing to not be that person anymore. Step six. And then I asked God to help me deal with that. I turned it over to God in step seven. Next thing you know, I had to like get straight with the world as a whole because I screwed all you people. People up. So I had step eight, eight where I studied and found out how I screwed people over. Step nine with direction of my sponsor and people who know what they're doing. I went and I've had a lifetime of making amends. Step 10 is where I started to keep myself cleaner because it's easy to get clean, but how do I not get dirtier? So I get this 10 step inventory as I go through the day. So I don't turn back into that dirt bag slowly, but surely. And then 11 step is how do I have this relationship with God? What do I do with it? Because the brass ring, the goal of Alcoholics Anonymous is to have this relationship with God. Well, I need directions on how to make it better and how to keep it going. So we got step 11. Now that I have this going, what, why did God sober me up? To working with others, uh, which is kind of what it's all about. Um, It's entirely devoted to our our 12th step, which says, having had a spiritual experience, we try to carry this message to other alcoholics. Because as it's pointed out all throughout our book, nothing will so much ensure our own immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. That's why we do that. 
Intense. Uh, I love that. That's why we do that, yeah. and it's intensive. We were talking earlier. The benefit of sponsorship, it, yeah, it's nice to get the guys started and through the steps, but for me as a sponsor, that's when I did my most growing. You know, when I had my first sponsee, my, even today after numerous sponsees, that's when I grow. That's the best part. I get you all sponsees started and connected to God, but if they don't intensively work with newcomers, they're just going to be, you know, Sliding in mud for a while till they actually figure out how this thing works. So I'm I'm good with I'm, I'm good with God. Um, I'm working with others, but my family still has to deal with the fact that I've screwed them over. So we have a chapter called to the wives, which is also to the husbands or to the boyfriends or to my partner or to my significant other. Basically, the people who lived with us through all the crap we put them through, and it's trying to get them to get their lives better. Because if they're sticking around with us all those times, there got to be some issues going on in their life, whether it was self-induced or we put it upon them. So we're teaching them how to deal with us, how to help us find help. And if we don't find help, if, we, if they don't help us find help, how can they make their lives better? And then now that mom or the boyfriend or the significant other is fixed, we have to look at the rest of the family. So we have a chapter called? The Family Afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like an extension of the two eyes, but it opens it up to... To everybody. Now you got the kids in there, the siblings in there, your grandparents, the, everyone else that doesn't fall into the spouse partner category. Um, it talks about, in large part, that alcoholism is a family disease in some respect. We have made our family sick, you know? Mm-hmm. It's what their life is going to look like as we recover, as we don't recover, um, so they can get well too, you know? Which brings us into what we are discussing tonight. To the employer. To employers. Now, to the family, the person we used to be as a drunk, you know, that lying, cheating, stealing the life, self-centered, inconsiderate person to our family, we suddenly flip over, and that's got to be a total freak out for them, you know? Same thing for our bosses. I was calling in late, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I think I'm the best employee's ever had, you know, and I'm just doing all this great stuff while I'm also sleeping in the data, I'm calling in late all the time. But all of a sudden, I become this really good employee. I'm showing up on time. I'm doing the stuff I'm supposed to do. And then he wonders, well, how about the other guys in the office? What about this person? So this is an opportunity for us to help employers to deal, learn how to deal with folks like us. Because they don't. there's no human resources book that says how to deal with your alcoholic. Well, there is. It's called the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So we're in that. We're learning a little bit about um, how to decide whether this person's um, actually serious about getting sober or are they just running a, running a line on us, taking advantage of us. So we're going to start reading on page 139. 139. And I'm going to have, if you desire. Sounds good to me. Yeah. How do so, you feel about that, Robert? If you desire. 139. Yeah, if you, and we'll probably read to like 143, 44 ballpark. Okay. Thanks. If you desire to help, it might be well to disregard your own drinking or, your lack, or lack of it. Whether you are a hard drinker, a moderate drinker, or a teetotaler, you may have some pretty strong opinions, perhaps prejudices. Those who drink moderately may be more annoyed with an alcoholic than a total abstainer would be. Drinking occasionally and understanding your own reactions, it is possible for you to become quite sure of many things which, so far as the alcoholic is concerned, are not always so. A moderate drinker, oh sorry, as a moderate drinker, you can take your liquor or leave it alone. <coughs> Whenever you want to, you control your drinking. <coughs> of an evening, you go on a wild bender, get up in the morning, shake your head, and go to business. To you, Liquor is no real problem. You cannot see why it should be to anyone else. 
save the spineless and stupid. When dealing with an alcoholic, there may be a natural annoyance that a man could be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Even when you understand the malady better, you may feel this feeling arising. A look at the alcoholic in your organization <clears throat> is many times illuminating. Is he not usually brilliant, fast-thinking, imaginative, and likable? When sober, does he not work hard and have a knack of getting things done? If he had these qualities and did not drink, would he be worth retaining? Should he have the same consideration as other ailing employees? Is he worth salvaging? If your decision is yes, whether, whether the reason be humanitarian or business or both, then the following suggestions may be helpful. Can you discard the feeling that you are dealing only with a habit, with stubbornness or a weak will? If, he, if this presents difficulty, rereading chapters 2 and 3, where the alcoholic sickness is discussed, at any length, might be worthwhile. So you get the impression that before they even get to this chapter, they probably read the book or should have read the book to get an idea of what alcoholism is. And then we're going to nail in, now that you're an employer, this is how we're going to deal with this alcoholic guy that you know about. Now, just don't throw him into, you know, to the employers. Let them find out about alcoholism by reading the book. And then they can bring it to their own particular viewpoint by having the employers. You, as a businessman, want to know the necessities before considering the result. If you concede that your employee is ill, can he be forgiven for what he has done in the past? Can his past absurdities be forgotten? Can it be appreciated that he has been a victim of crooked thinking directly caused by the action of alcohol on his brain? I well remember the shock I received when a prominent doctor in Chicago told me of cases where pressure of the spinal fluid actually ruptured the brain. No wonder an alcoholic is strangely irrational. Who wouldn't be with such a favored, fevered brain? Normal drinkers are not so affected, nor can they understand the aberrations of the alcoholic. Your man has probably been trying to conceal a number of scrapes, perhaps pretty messy ones. They may be disgusting. You may be at loss to understand how such a seemingly above-board chap could be so involved. But these scrapes can generally be charged, no matter how bad, to the abnormal reaction, uh, to the abnormal action of alcohol on his mind. When drinking or getting over about an alcoholic, sometimes the model of honesty, when normal, will do incredible things. Afterwards, his revulsion will be terrible. Nearly always, these antics indicate nothing more than temporary conditions. This is not to say that all alcoholics are honest and upright when not drinking. Of course, that isn't so. And such people often may impose on you. Seeing your attempt to understand and help, some men will try to take advantage of your kindness. If you are sure your man does not want to stop, he may as well be discharged. The sooner the better. You are not doing him a favor by keeping him on. Firing such an individual may prove a blessing to him. It may be just the jolt he needs. I know in my own particular case that nothing my company could have done would have stopped me for so long as I was able to hold my position. I could not possibly realize how serious my situation was. They had fired me first, 
and they then wait, wait a second they had fired me first and then they had taken this taken steps to see that I was presented with the solution contained in this book I might have returned to them six months later a well man but there are many men who want to stop and with them you can go far your understanding treatment of these cases will pay dividends perhaps you have such a man in mind he wants to quit drinking and you want to help him even if it be only a matter of good business you now know more about alcoholism you can see that he is mentally and physically sick you are willing to overlook his past performances suppose an approach is made something like this so up to this point we've had the problems the issues the consequences now we're getting into the part of the books i always like get into the solution now that we got this guy how can we help the person state that you know about this, his drinking and it, it must stop you might say you appreciate his ability, <coughs> would like to keep him, but cannot if he continues to drink. A firm attitude at this point has helped many of us. Next, he can be assured that you do not intend to lecture, moralize, or condemn. That if this was done formally, it was because of misunderstanding. If possible, express a lack of hard feeling toward him. At this point, it might be well to explain alcoholism, the illness. Say that you believe he is gravely ill, that he is a gravely ill person with disqualification, perhaps fatally ill. Does he want to get well? You ask, because many alcoholics, being warped and drugged, do not want to quit. But does he? Will he take, several, will he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well, to stop drinking forever? If he says yes, does he really mean it? Or down inside, does he think he's fooling you and that after rest and treatment, he will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then? Who can relate to that? 30 days at the Florida resort talking about your inner child and vision boards and back at it. We believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points. Be satisfied he's not deceiving himself or you. Whether you mention this book is a matter for your discretion. If he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer, he might as well be discharged after the next bender, which, if an alcoholic, he is almost certain to have. He should understand that emphatically. Either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well, or you're not. If not, why waste time with him? This may seem severe, but it is usually the best course. After satisfying yourself that your man wants to recover and, and that he will go to any extreme to do so, you may suggest a definite course of action. For most alcoholics who are drinking or who are just getting over the spree, a certain amount of physical treatment is desirable, even imperative. The matter of physical treatment should, of course, be referred to your own doctor. Whatever the method, method, its object is to thoroughly clean mind and body of the effects of alcohol. In competent hands, this seldom takes long, nor is it very expensive. Your man will fare better if placed in such physical condition that he can think straight and no longer craves alcohol. If you propose such a procedure to him, it may be necessary to advance cost of treatment, but we believe... It should be made plain that any expense will later be deducted from his pay. It is better for him to feel fully responsible. Mm. 
If your ban accepts your offer, it should be pointed out that physical treatment is but a small part of the picture. Though you are providing him with the best possible medical attention, he should understand that he must undergo a change of heart. To get over drinking will require a transformation of thought and attitude. We all had to place recovery before anything, for without... Wait a second. We all had to place recovery above anything. For without recovery, we would have lost both home and business. Yeah, read that again. That's kind of important, I bet. Okay. We all had to place recovery above everything. For without recovery, we would have lost both home and business. That's been repeated a few times through the book in different chapters. We're going to read one more paragraph. Okay. Can you have every confidence in his ability to recover? While on the subject of confidence, can you adopt the attitude that so far as you are concerned, this will be a strictly personal matter, that is alcoholic derelictions, the treatment about to be undertaken, will never be discussed without his consent? It might be well to have a long chat with him on on his return. So we're going to pause there. We're going to jump into the question and answer section. Uh, starting at the top of page 141, 141. and right. I'll get the fuzzy stick and pass it around. Are you ready? I will be. Who got fired a couple times, and did that help you get into recovery? How many people never got fired and still got sober? Yeah, combination of both. Hi, Ryan. Oh, yeah? You waiting on me? (laughs) Yeah. First full paragraph. First question. It's a weird one. This is not to say what? This is not to say that all alcoholics are honest and upright when not drinking. What may this kind of person do? Of course, that isn't so, and such people often may impose on you. What will some people do when they see you trying to help them? Seeing you attempt to understand and help, some men will try to take advantage of your kindness. If you believe he is not sincere in his desire to quit drinking, you should do what? If you are sure your man does not want to stop, he may as well be discharged the sooner the better. What is it you are not doing for him? You are not doing him a favor by keeping him on. Losing his job may prove to be what? Firing such an individual may prove a blessing to him. What may it give him? You got that? Okay. Diddly it do. may be just the jolt he needs. Oh, that was written in the book. Next question. What did the author know about himself as long as he had a job? I know in my own particular case that nothing my company could have done would have stopped me. For so long as I was able to hold my position, I could not possibly realize how serious my situation was. What action could his employer have taken that might have made a big difference in his life? If they fired me first, and had they taken the steps to see that I was presented with the solutions contained in this book, I might have returned to them six months later, a well man. Next paragraph. But what about the ones who really want to stop drinking? But there are many men who want to stop, and with them you can go far. One more question, too. Right, one more. What can pay dividends for them? Your understanding treatment of their cases will pay dividends. Nice. Next paragraph. Maybe you already have what? Perhaps you have such a man in mind. What may you both want? 
Uh, yeah, he wants you to quit drinking, and you want to help him, even if it is only a matter of good business. What do you now know? Two sentences. Come on, Peter. You now know more about alcoholism. You can see that he is mentally and physically sick. Thanks. Thank you. What are you now willing to do? Tanisha. Tanisha. You are willing to overlook his past performances. Nice. I mean, performances like drug. Yeah. Okay. Get Next. Because I always thought my performance was really good at the company. I guess it was performances that got me into trouble. To make your initial approach, what can you tell him you know? State that you know about his drinking and that it must stop. You might also say you appreciate his what? You might say you appreciate his abilities, would like to keep him, but cannot if he continues to drink. Also, you would like to do what? Next, he can be assured that you do not intend to lecture, moralize, or condemn. Next, he can be assured that you do not intend to lecture, moralize, or condemn. All right. What should you express to him? If possible, express a lack of hard feeling toward him. There we go. At this point, what might you do? At this point, it might be well to explain alcoholism, the illness. Tell him you believe he is what? Say that you believe he is gravely ill. Person with this qualification being perhaps fatally ill... Does he not want to get well? What question do you ask him? You ask, because many alcoholics being warped and drugged do not want to quit, but does he? Why would you ask this question? Would hmm. he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well, to stop drinking forever? Next paragraph. If he says yes, can you be sure of his sincerity? If he says yes, does he really mean it? Or down inside, does he think he is fooling you? At that, after rest and treatment, he will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then. What should he be thoroughly probed on? We believe a man should therefore probed on those points. Of what do you need to be satisfied? That um, he's not deceiving himself for you. That's it. Next paragraph. What is a matter for your discretion? Whether you mention this book is a matter for your discretion. Nice. Pause. Okay. Awesome. There you go. If he decides to quit for a little while, believing he can then drink successfully, you should probably do what after his next binge? If he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer... He might as well be discharged after the next bender, which, if an alcoholic, he is almost certain to have. By then, you can be reasonably certain that he is what? He should understand that emphatically. Hmm. No, I think I messed that up. Will you say that sentence for me one more time? What should he understand before the conversation is concluded? Did you actually go down a little bit? It says he should understand that. No, he's saying it again. Yeah. He should understand that emphatically. Yeah. Yeah. What do you need to find out about this person? Either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well, or you are not. If he is not sincere, you may decide to do what? If not, why waste time with him? Would this be too severe? 
This may seem severe, but it is usually the best course. Nice. New paragraph. Once you are convinced he is sincere, what might you do? After satisfying yourself that your man wants to recover and he will go to any extreme to do so, you may suggest a definite course of action. If he is drinking or coming off a drunk, what may he need? For most alcoholics who are drinking or just getting over a spree, a certain amount of physical treatment is desirable, even imperative. Nice. Page 143. Who should make the call regarding physical treatment? The matter matter of physical treatment should, of course, be referred to your own doctor. Why may this be necessary? Whatever the method method is, uh, its object is to thoroughly clear your mind and body of the effects of alcohol. Should this process be either long or expensive? Incompetent hands is seldom takes long, nor is it very expensive. <laughs> Never uh, been to Florida. <laughs> why, why is this desirable? Your man will fare better if placed in such physical condition that he can think straight and no longer craves liquor. Sounds like he's fully detoxed and the phenomenon of craving is over. If this is indicated, you may find it necessary to help him in what way? If your man accepts your offer, it should be pointed out that physical treatment is but a small part of the picture. No, sir. Let's try this again. If this is indicated, you may find it necessary to help him in what way? It starts with, if you propose. If you propose such a if procedure. If you propose such a procedure to him, to him yes. it may be necessary to advance the course of treatment. But we believe it should be made plain that any expense will later be deducted from his pay. By the way, who would have taken it more seriously if you had to pay for it rather than mom and dad or insurance or something like that, right? That right. It's like, oh, we get another 30-day rehab vacation. The last sentence of that paragraph. What should the alcoholic clearly understand? It is better for him to feel fully responsible. Nice. How can an untreated alcoholic feel responsible? That's just like goes against everything you know about an active alcoholic. All right, new paragraph. If the man agrees to proceed, what must he be told? If your man accepts your offer, it should be pointed out that physical treatment is but a small part of the picture. What should he understand? Though you are providing him with the best possible medical attention, he should understand that he must undergo a change of heart. Nice. What must happen to him if he is to survive alcoholism? To get over drinking will require a transformation of thought and attitude. Thanks. Comment. Is this just another way of saying spiritual awakening? Or change. Or change. Change. Where must we place recovery in our priorities? We all have to place recovery above everything, for without recovery, we would not have lost both home and business. Nice. The last paragraph we are questioning. With what question are you faced? Can you have every confidence in his ability to recover? What questions should you be able to answer? While on the subject of confidence, can you adopt the attitude that so far as you are concerned, that will be a strictly personal matter, that his alcoholic derelict, Yep, derelictions. Derelictions. The treatment about to be undertaken will never be discussed without his consent. It's a long one. Last question. What might you do with him to help answer these questions? 
It might be well to have a long chat with him on his return. Nice. And that is that. This is now open to comments, questions. Free to share if you have spiritual experience. Or financial experience or employer yeah. insurance or, or employee. Getting fired experience. Getting fired and how it changed your life. It is not to say that all alcoholics are honest and upright when not drinking. Now, the, the idea that this guy actually has a higher opinion of the capabilities of an untreated active alcoholic. Because let's face it, at least for me, when I was out there, if I was a real alcoholic, I had one purpose in life was to get more booze and not get caught and to get away with it. Honesty was not one of my normal character, characteristics, at least when it came to work or to booze. You know, I could fudge. I could fudge and play honest once in a while around the job. I was a cash register honest most of the time. I was honest to clients most of the time. But if you had anything to do with my drinking or other particular activities on the side, there my honesty would stop, and I would be offended. And I'd find a way to get around it and over it. So, luckily, I had a. I I got a job in '87 with a gentleman who was in recovery at the time. Turned out he was just a problem little heavy drinker, and after about five years, he went on his merry way and continued to be a normal person, moderate drinking, not drinking, going to this wonderful place. And I ended up working with him for years. I, I had issues working with him. I went out on a, a run for five, six years, and uh, he let me bake in his office. You know, I was the, 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 the good producing employer, the good producing salesperson, but I would also have Monday flu and, you know, maybe not show up Thursday, Fridays. And it got worse and worse. And uh, a couple of business meetings, my drinking was brought up for a group discussion. Like, well, my Chase, you know, he's never here. You know, it's his alcoholism. And my boss, you know, looked and pointed at me. He used to be an alcoholic. Now he's just a drunk. Alcoholics do things with their lives. And I thought, and he winked at me. And I thought, oh, that's so cute. I can keep doing this, you know. He didn't put the hammer down. He just let me bake. And um, it, it spiraled out of control. And uh, one day he just pulled me into the office and said, you need to go get help. And if you get help, you can come back. But you're not welcome here until you do. So I, luckily I did. And I struggled. I was the, the white chipper going in and out a lot with him. And he pulled me aside. because Since he was a problem heavy hard drinker, he never fully understood alcoholism. So I'm having the struggle of you know, like I'm not getting I'm not getting caught in AA, but my boss can sort of smell that I've been drinking over the weekend. So you know he he told me he said, listen, why don't you just you know go a few months sober, go out and have a good drink, and then come back and get a few months sober, and then go out and have a good drink, and 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 it hit me really hard because that's not the kind of guy I wanted to be. I I wanted to be sober. I wanted to be able to stay sober, but I wasn't able to do it with the group of people I was hanging out with. So. Uh, he let me uh, stumble and get enough pain so I was willing to do what I needed to do. And luckily, I got involved with AA people who were doing the big book. And hence, 13 years later, I'm still sober because of that. So, But the fact that he, he was knowledgeable and helped me and didn't just like fire me out of the blue was helpful for me. That's, that's I think, what a lot of this book is bringing us information on. Hi, recovered alcoholic named Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Hi. I'm sitting here reading this part. Um, says, I know in my own particular case that nothing my company could have done would have stopped me. For so long as I was able to hold my position, I could not possibly realize how serious my situation was. 
Had they fired me first, had they taken the steps to see that I was presented with the solution contained in this book, I might have returned to them six months later a well man. Um, I came back down to Florida when I was just really, really ramping up my alcoholism, and I got a job with a very prominent restaurant corporation down here that I had worked for for 14 years prior. And I was in corporate restaurant management, so I had shelves and closets and bars full of liquor at my disposal. And I hadn't been back with the company long, and they hired me at a really nice salary to start, no questions asked. And they had no idea what my problem was, and honestly, neither did I. Um, And I had a scrape where I had gotten into the liquor closet in my office. And there was a camera in there, and, you know, I hid perfectly in the camera. I thought I was very slick. Well, I had, might have had one too many, and something happened on the way out the door. I ran into somebody. I collided with somebody, and I may or may not have acted abnormally. Mm. And I was talked to by my boss the next day, who was a longtime friend of mine. And she asked me, had I been drinking? And I said, no. I don't know what you're talking about. And she kind of let it go. You know, she's like, well, if you were, this can't happen any longer. You know, and I, and I think back to that day, and then I, I kept going and kept going with my drinking, and then I walked out of work one day, and she came to talk to me at my house, and I was drunk. And I did not know what I didn't know. I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I couldn't stop drinking. And I think back to that. I know they were concerned, but they overlooked these situations. And then when the final blow-up came up and I was a general manager and I was in charge of, you know, $20,000 food orders, liquor inventory, uh, cash, bank, everything, started, started again that morning. I couldn't stop drinking. And I walked out. And then, see, I didn't get fired. I walked out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I left a lot of people hanging, a lot, a, a lot of work. It, it, was, it was bad. You know, and they called me and they said, you can have your job back in another store. Of course, I was too, just, I was so ashamed of my behavior, mm-hmm. and it was getting worse and worse, so I just said no, you know, but had they known about this solution, you know, I, who knows if I would have taken it or not, but my, my behavior was just ridiculous, you know, and it, it, it had I gotten fired, you know, that was, that might have been the jolt I needed. So, you know, I think this is a really good chapter for employees, especially it turns out later on that a lot of the people that run this company and own it are in recovery. Now or back then? Now. Okay. <laughs> in the industry, shocking. Yeah. They were, you know, and earlier in the chapter, it talks about how they overlook, you know, our, our behavior because we have a lot of good qualities. You know, I'm really good at what I did couldn't hold my job. I couldn't, I wasn't reliable any longer. I like how you bring that up because in the early part, they do talk about how they look the other way as long as they're producing and making money because they don't look at it as, as a progressive malady of fatality. It's, it was just, you know, this is a hard a company, we party hardy and we do like that. But now he knows what alcohol is. It's progressive and it's going to go. So now they can look at it differently. They got a gal like you in the same situation. Maybe they can get him quicker. I had a coworker he hired that, you know, was a, turned out he was alcoholic. And he's, my boss told me, you know, I hired this guy. He's one of his, and then he goes to AA and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. 
But, um, oh, nice, you know. And, and, and he says, well, you know what happens if he drinks? And I go, yeah, we fire him. And I'm drinking. He knows. He says, no, we just work with him. And I think that must have been like a, a, a signal to me that ominous warning I failed to heed, you know. He knew that people are going to have bumps along the road. He knew enough about that. Did I walk on somebody earlier? And this chapter is definitely written by people who understand alcoholism. I couldn't help but think as we were reading this to the paragraph in There is a Solution that explains the reactions of non-alcoholics or the people that don't understand alcoholism have to us. And how many times have people said to us, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer or wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be so weak. He could stop if he wanted to, you know, and you don't, you don't find that in this chapter. Instead, you have, you can see that he is mentally and physically ill. Are you willing to overlook his past performances? Just a whole different attitude. And I was just like shook with how different that'd be. That's not the same. That's different. Definitely don't take this attitude in the sponsorship. You know, if he drinks, you fire him. No, you just you work with him. You keep going over with him and stuff. You know, as an employer, it's a different attitude. It's a business. We're not talking about family members as employers. We're talking about the bottom line. This is a guy who's coming from corporations. He looks at Joe, who's going to cost $60,000 to retrain somebody else to take that job. What's the cost measurement of it? And then later on in the book, we sneak in what's the humanitarian part of it. Because it's not just a cost factor. This is a human, human being that has a disease that there's a solution for if he wants to do it. But if he doesn't want to do it, cut him and let him go. You know, it's like if you're ready to get sober, then you can stay on. But if you're not, then move on. And maybe they'll get more opportunities later on. Hi, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, you know, I'm just thinking in reading this chapter, I'm just reflecting on some of my experiences with the company. And I, I was working for a, a great company, Fortune 500 company, and they had a lot of great benefits. They extended a lot of medical leave for diff various different trips and, and things that I that I did. And, and um, you know, toward the end, I, I was just thinking about this. Like, I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have uh, a wallet even. And I had gone back to work there, and I got, like, this annual incentive payment. It was several thousand dollars. And I had to give my mom uh, the check to put into her bank account because I just couldn't be trusted with that money. And it was like I was still showing up and doing, like, a, a good job. Like, they were happy with the work I was doing. And I was like a, an animal, like a dog that could do a really, you know, complicated trick or something. And that's, that's kind of how, how it was it, it, with me drinking there. I wasn't sober a day, a day that I worked there. Um, but wow, it's, it's incredible. And, and really what was necessary was for me to have a complete change of heart and have a transformation of thought and attitude. And this is the psychic change that, that our book talks about in this program. Um, and I did have to put recovery before anything. I resigned from the job. I didn't get fired because I realized that I, w I was just able to do it unconsciously, basically. So I would have done it forever as long as they kept paying me. And um, so thank God for, for Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Peter, you got something? Sorry. All right, uh, Jordan, you had Hey, Jordan. Uh, Jordan, Recovered Alcoholic. Hi, Jordan. Um, it was talking about the effects that alcohol has on our mind. Um, and obviously the insane effects that alcohol has, like while we're drinking. Uh, 
but I also like, you know, I would wake up in the morning and I would go to work um, after having a period of sobriety and like building a great reputation with this company I was working for. Um, and I never had any clarity about like my performance and the decline in my abilities to do my job. So I'm going in there and my ego is just, listen, they should value me the same way they did when I was sober. Like I can do no wrong. I had no awareness uh, of my attitude, my behavior towards other people, my resentments towards the people that I was working with. Um, but in my mind, I still felt like I deserved that respect. Um, I really demanded that respect from people I worked with. And I noticed that like, slowly the behaviors of the people that I worked with changed towards me, and I was offended by that. Um, and then inevitably, like we have that outburst. And I had that outburst, and I was fired from my job. And I, it took me a long time to get honest with, like, I deserved absolutely to be fired. Um, where, I mean, that thing in me would not let go of the fact that, like, the contribution that I had made to this company was so great that I'm allowed to screw up and just be a terrible employee for a period of time, and they should just deal with it. Um, so it was a humbling experience to, like, go through this process and get honest and say, you know what, like, I, I was really terrible to these people that were very gracious to me, that really gave me plenty of opportunities that I couldn't see. Um, and that's what this program does is it, like, slowly brings me to a place where I can be honest about my behavior and then go and correct those things in the future. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks. I like how they put a timeline of six months on this, right? After six months, you come back, it'll be a fantastic, you know. Don't drag this stuff out over the years and whatnot like that. Josiah, you had your hand up. <clears throat> uh, Josiah, alcoholic. I, um, you know, I hadn't, I'd never read this before uh, going through it with you guys here. And it just strikes me how wonderful and informative it is for uh, employers because um, in college, I had an excellent job. I had a job at a five-star, five-diamond resort, um, which is funny because, like, every I went to work withdrawing my butt off so many times. You know, I had, I had to fake this five-star persona just, like, skin crawling, like, heart beating out of my chest, just the awful, awful way to live. But I say that to say, you know, I had a wonderful boss, um, and he was an ex-problem drinker, right? He was not an alcoholic, and he did not require a spiritual solution. However, he was very understanding, and he took me aside uh, one afternoon, and he was like, look, you know, I know what's going on with you. He, and then he kind of opened up about how he had used to drink, and he said, look, my suggestion is at night, instead of drinking beer, drink chamomile tea. And I just thought to myself, I was like, if only that worked. But it doesn't work like that for me. I'm an alcoholic. I require a spiritual solution. And that, that was thrown into sharp relief this past week. You know, I was going through some uh, emotional um, strain and, um, you know, would have drank if I hadn't been before that working with a sponsor and reading and uh, looking for sponsees and um, that's what works, you know? So if he had suggested that to me, maybe it would have been different, but I got fired. So <laughs> chamomile tea did not work. Nothing will so ensure immunity from drinking as working intensively with working with others. Well, I got the same thing. I went to an AA group that was a bunch of long-term problem-heavy hard drinkers, and my, their solution to me was, you know, even if you want to drink, you don't have to drink anymore, and, you know, don't drink between meetings, and you won't get drunk, and 
you know, put the plug in the jug and get us commitment. And I kept drinking. And they were shocked. It's like, why do you drink? You had this commitment. You could be drinking chamomile tea. Like, I why could have been drinking? Yeah, a whole pamphlet. <laughs> chamomile so tea. Strange. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else want to share it tonight? Shay. Gentleman in the back. Hello. Shay's going to talk, he said. How's it going? Thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Santi. I'm an addict. Hey, um, Santi. You know, I'm glad this, I came here tonight. Um, in my case, I was the employer um, I moved to South America back in 2012. I opened up my own restaurant. Um, once I got there, after the reopening, about three, four months after the restaurant was opened, uh, I relapsed. I relapsed really bad. Um, you know, I was I was out. I was up for like ten days, drinking, getting high, doing drugs and alcohol. And um, my mother had to go save my restaurant. You know, she was the one that. Stuck her head there, and uh, and um, so I didn't show up. You know, there were employees there. They were they had to order food, pay the employees, pay the rent, and um, she got. I told her I was out. I was going to take a couple of days off because I've been working every day. And um, you know, I've been I've been an addict since I was 16. I'm 49 years old now. She um, after I came back, she saw me. I had lost like 20, 30 pounds in no matter two weeks. I was a mess. And, um, you know, I promised I wasn't going to do it again, stuff like that. Anyway, this behavior kept on for about, I had the restaurant for five years. Uh, it was relapse after relapse. I would disappear for, for a month, month and a half. She would have to go to the restaurant, take care of it. And after a year that I was, after, the, after a year of the opening, she uh, she sent me to rehab over there. She sent, I was coming out of my apartment, and uh, four guys rushed me. They threw me on the ground. They handcuffed me and stuck me in a car and took me to rehab. That's how it's done there, you know, by force. And they, you know, once I was in rehab, they verbally abused you. They physically abused you. The conditions were horrible. I got out, relapsed again. Within that five-year period, she sent me to rehab six times. And uh, it got to a point where she changed the locks on my own restaurant. Um, I would pay somebody to go open the locks, to go in, steal whatever I can from my own stuff, to go sell it. Two, three in the morning, I would, um, it was a chicken rotisserie restaurant. I would cook chickens in the oven to go give it to a drug dealer. So how did you get, what's the solution here? Um, what finally happened? It, it it got to a point where um, I hadn't you know the lease was over I had to close down the restaurant and um, I came here to the states you know to uh, save some money to go back and reopen it ended up relapsing again and um, first time out of seven times I've been in rehab uh, my solution that I see coming out of it is I finally gave myself to God and to the program I uh, every time I go to a meeting now I I want to go to meetings I, I'm happy to go to meetings. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to be, what they tell me to do, you know, take all the suggestions. So I believe that with a higher power and and the program, it's the only way because I never could do it by myself. So I thank this meeting for listening. Thanks. Thank Glad you. you're here. You know, and what he was talking about is, is a is a good reason why we don't bounce around the book and just read the chapters that we think the sponsor will benefit from because it benefited me. Start on page zero. Read as much, you know, read the entire book, 
because the fact that we learn about how to deal with family members is going to help us because he had a job that his mom was taking care of him. If she had known about the family to the wives, she would have been able to help him. And if she had read to the employees, she could have like helped save the business. So don't bounce around the book. You know, they're assuming that we're reading every page and studying every page. You know, maybe that page is good for you, but maybe it won't do anything for that person. So read the book, the entire book. Can you scoot in so I can run through? Thanks. Danny, do you have anything to say tonight? Hi. Hey, my name's Danny, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Danny. Uh, let's see here. Uh, you might not like this because it uh, uh, drastically goes against what you said earlier. Uh, but the whole time I'm sitting here, uh, uh, at least again for me, um, I was drawing parallels to uh, uh, to sponsees sometimes. And yes, if, uh, you said the thing earlier that. Uh, no, we don't fire them if they drink, but uh, a lot of times if they don't want it, we do move on to somebody else who mm-hmm. does want it. Uh, it says in here, if you are sure your man does not want to stop, you may as well be discharged. The sooner the better. You're not doing him a favor by keeping him on. Uh, a lot of times people just want us. In fact, I was talking with somebody else the other day. Uh, sponsees just want us to act as some sort of like, hey, uh, I need a ride here. Or, hey, uh, I need money for this thing. You know, and they'll just stay on and glob onto us, and they actually don't want to put in any work or don't actually want recovery or want what we have. They more uh, just want to uh, us to be there as like a Band-Aid for their sprees. Uh, and sometimes uh, when it comes uh, to that, it is best to, to move on to somebody else who does uh, actually want this thing. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, that's the best I can come up with right now, Mike, uh, with you putting me on the spot there. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and you're absolutely right. But then again, sponsorship isn't car service. It's not financial at most. It's not the bank. It's like I tell my guys, you want to come and read the book? You want to do some step work? No. But as soon as they say they want to, then you know, we bring them right back, right? We don't punish people for having relapses in Alcoholics Anonymous. All right. From A Vision for You, page 164. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to him that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pound. To, to come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Let's thank Robert for right now. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us who trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsors or anyone in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. So if you are a sponsor and you got a new sponsee and you want to introduce them to them, this is the time. Come on up. We'll give you a medallion. You can introduce them. Bring them next week or get one over the weekend. By the way, is there anybody currently wanting and willing to read slash sponsor somebody? Raise your hand. Anyone's qualified who's got time and look at the spot. If you need a sponsor and you want to get brought to God through this thing, these are, hey, guys, see you guys. See you next time around. Come back. Um, these are the folks you want to talk to. Uh, is anyone celebrating a year or more of sobriety tonight that would like to celebrate with us? 
we don't have cake. If okay. you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a membership card. And all group, home group members, raise your hands. And those are going to stick around and help tear down, too. Great. Those are yeah, the important okay. ones. If not, keep great. Uh, let's see. Um, Thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to see you next week. But before that, Thursday evening, downstairs in the fellowship, Paul, is our Alcoholics and God Step Series meeting starting at 7.15. Setup is at 5.30, fellowship slash 6.15. Uh, join us. We got Peter M., who has a last name that we discussed <laughs> earlier that we won't talk about tonight. Um, he's on his second session. He, it's going to be a, you know, come early, get a seat. It's, it's a full house. Um, you don't want to miss this next 12 weeks. It's really amazing. And just a friendly reminder, as you are exiting, to please wait until you are 75 feet away from the doors to smoke or vape. So let's close now with the Lord's Prayer so everybody wants to take a moment to get, like, comfy and ready to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Who will bring us from shame to grace?
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. In my life, 
Fields are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time. That's at my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Broken man, I travel far and wide through the great divide through his own heart. Yeah, well, I have a life today when he give away, and it's just about to start. So I face each day. Brand new way, show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs, and people sing along, and stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share, nothing could come. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Just won't say.